Welcome to the Pod Control Podcast, brought to you by Red Hat. Pod Control is your source for containers, Kubernetes, OpenShift, and all things cloud native. Hello, Kubernetes community, and welcome back to another episode of the PodCTL Podcast. It is good to be back in 2019. It's uh, good to have everybody back doing doing real shows. Um, I know we did a real quick kind of uh, what's going on in 2019 show last week. Thanks, everybody, for for coming back. Uh, Wanted to real quickly uh, thank Tyler for being part of the show for for a long, long time. He's decided to move on and do some other things. Uh, He'll always be part of the PodCTL family, and we uh, we always thank him for being around. But uh, it's good for us to to bring on some new voices, some new perspectives, and very excited to have John Odborn join me. John's a, a colleague at Red Hat. He is the sort of field technical lead for OpenShift in our federal space, but uh, very, very well versed around kind of all things OpenShift. So, John, welcome to the show. Great to have you as a co-host. Thanks, Brian. Uh, excited to be on the show. So um, you've you've been around the federal space, but you, I mean, obviously, you've been around a lot of technology for a long time. Give folks um, who don't follow you, you're on uh, Twitter at OpenShiftFed, but for folks that may not know you, give folks a little bit of your, your technology background and um, you know pre-Red Hat and pre-OpenShift and then uh, some of the stuff you've been working on lately. Yeah, uh, sure. So um, you know, originally after college, I started out with this uh, startup company up in Boston and um, worked there for a few years. Didn't, uh, didn't work out the way I wanted it to. Um, ended up joining uh, an engineering group within the Department of Defense was there for about seven years doing mostly uh, infrastructure work. Um, got to work with some pretty awesome cutting-edge technologies at the time. Uh, ended up looking for something new. Joined Red Hat about five and a half years ago, which was a really good experience for me. I started doing you know some things around CI/CD, DevOps, a lot of our customers. You know, I got lucky I think in my career a little bit because I was at Red Hat when we started looking at Kubernetes when it was in beta. So I really got in, you know, from the ground floor was starting to work with customers around Kubernetes and then Kubernetes hit, you know, 0.9 and 1.0. Uh, and since then, I've, I've grown into the, the OpenShift lead for the federal team. So I work largely with federal customers. I, I do help some of our uh, other field members and other geos in the commercial space and, and uh, Europe and Asia do some things as well, but uh, largely work with, with federal customers uh, adopting Kubernetes, trying to modernize, move to cloud native applications, those types of things. Yeah, very, very cool. Yeah, I know you've worked on some some very large things, obviously some stuff that's, uh, you know, in uh, in the public domain, but also some stuff that's behind the scenes, which is very cool. Um, also, you're author of the book OpenShift in Action, along with uh, Jamie Duncan. Tell us a little bit about kind of, uh, you know, number one, why you decided to write a book, because it's hugely time consuming. But, you know, if folks were to go pick it up, what are they going to get out of it? Yeah, I, I, I would never recommend writing a book to people after, after I've written one. Uh, what we But what we wanted to do is we wanted to take uh, more of like a nuts and bolts approach to uh, helping customers learn about containers. We we found from being in the field that a lot of customers didn't actually know what a container was um, and some of the underlying fundamental concepts of it. So one of the things that we did when we wanted to write the book is we wanted to make it almost like version proof uh, because we wanted to focus on all the fundamental concepts that go into you know container technologies, orchestration technologies, um, underlying design patterns, why why things are built the way they are. Um, so it's not, you know, the version of the book is actually a couple of releases behind now, but the, the idea when we built it is that we, it would be versionless because you would learn, you know, how containers work, you know, Linux namespaces, C groups, um, the underlying problems that Kubernetes was trying to solve, how Kubernetes is built, um, the API, the scaling, those types of things. Um, so some people have asked me, oh, well, it's, you know, now we're a couple of releases behind, um, but, you know, it's, we built it to be a version-proof book. We really just wanted to help our 
help our customers in the field learn a little bit more about the, the fundamentals behind things. Um, but like you said, it, books are very time consuming, so I wouldn't necessarily uh, recommend one. You know, we were up till probably one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning every night for about a year and a half uh, putting it together. So, yeah. Yeah. So highly recommend the book. Um, we'll, uh, we'll get it out there. And I know there's always, uh, there's always good discounts if you want to get it uh, a little less than, than normal. So first off, excited to have you on the show. Excited to have you, you co-hosting with me. And, um, you know, one of, one of my top goals, anytime I'm doing stuff on podcasts is always go find folks that are, that are way smarter than me. It makes my part of the job easier. So excited to have you on the show. Um, we thought today we would talk a little bit about this concept of policy in Kubernetes, which I know is something that you've been digging into um, just in your day-to-day work and, and talking to companies that are, that are deploying Kubernetes. And, um, you know, it's something we really have never covered on the podcast before. So why don't we start with sort of the basics? If, if somebody were to go do a Google search on Kubernetes and policy. Um, they're probably going to end up on the Kubernetes homepage, um, and they're going to find you know some basic things that Kubernetes would define as policy, like pod security policy, which is you know very Linux centric. Um, and then they're going to see a lot of things around quotas, so storage quotas, network quotas, um, you know some usage quotas. Where do you, as you as you're talking to people about policy, where do you tend to start the conversation? Oh, that's a really good question. Um... I think normally the way we kind of see the evolution of the adoption of Kubernetes is, you know, people look into adopting it. They start to learn about it, learn how to get apps onto the platform, how to manage them. Then they, the next stage is they, they look at security. So the security story around Kubernetes right now, they look at you know, pod security policies or with the running an open shift uh, security context constraints. There's other things as well, like uh, network policies and other um, way to secure different, um, parts of your stack. So I think they start looking at that and then they'll start building out the typical evolution is they'll, they'll then look at building a CI/CD pipeline. And within the CI/CD pipeline, they'll have different, you know, scanning and code quality tools. They might start looking at, you know, partners like Black Duck or Twistlock, um, Sysdigs, um, New Vector, some, some of the uh, players in that space. And then what we've seen recently is because now Kubernetes is uh, going to be this, I think, May or June will hit four years that it's been GA. So we have some customers that are really mature with the platform now, and they're you know, running hundreds of apps in prod. So I think once you get from the how do I secure it to how do I securely get apps onto the platform, people start looking at more of a holistic approach and how do I manage these things? How do I manage some of these problems at scale, like, for instance, data protection, or how do I look at things like you know, making sure that only containers that have passed certain, you know, code scanning or quality scanning or have, you know, limited number of availability, uh, uh, vulnerabilities get into the stack, um, get into Kubernetes. How do I, um, how do I make sure that, you know, multiple quotas across projects, across domains, things like that. So uh, eventually they'll get to a holistic approach, but the normal start is security, then CICD, and then, you know, trying to, manage things at scale, uh, disjointed uh, technologies within the platform. Yeah, I think I think that's a good overview. I, you know, one of the things that always comes into play is, um, you know, none of these concepts are really sort of new. I mean, if you have been building VM-centric environments or bare metal environments over the years, I mean, you, you were always having to figure out how to uh, to deal with the security aspects of it, you know, storage quotas, backups, uh, you know, making sure you weren't in, injecting vulnerabilities. I, I think it becomes more critical now with 
with Kubernetes for a couple of reasons. Number one, people are very comfortable with the mindset of, of things like self-service. And so they, they're looking for low friction things. So somewhere, somebody on the on the back end of the platform is having to make sure that that self-service does have some policy wrapped around it. Um, and then, you know, we're dealing with, uh, with typically shared environments, whether you're, you know, you're building kind of smaller clusters or bigger clusters, you're still dealing with shared environments. And so you've got to be able to, to put some protections, whether they're security protections or they are resource constraints around, um, you know, what, what people do with it, because it's, it's very easy to either, you know, leave resources forever or, uh, you know, have certain things that will, will overly consume stuff. So I, I think this is a, it's an important conversation, but it's, it's important not because they're totally new concepts, but because we've taken some friction out of the system, people are easy, able to get on the system faster. Um, and, you know, in the case of, of building, you know, new applications, microservices, the changes around the system are happening more frequently. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually, because, you know, the way typically things were done before containers, before Kubernetes, with the virtual machines, a lot of these things were disjointed and they were different teams. You might have a database team or a storage team that did snapshots, a virtualization team. And all of these processes were manual, but when you move to containers, you're inherently moving faster and those bottlenecks become a lot more apparent. And then that's where, you know, we, we need automation. And that's where I think people are looking at policies and what kind of tools and technologies can I use to automate things in a more holistic way. Yeah. You've dealt with companies that are, that are, you know, deploying this in production and so forth. What do you, you know, a lot of times, like you said, it would typically be siloed. The network team would be looking at stuff. How do you see people kind of organizing themselves such that if somebody said, Hey, I, um, you know, uh, we, we have policies, but how, how does somebody audit them or just make sure they're doing their job or keeping up with them day to day? Like, is it, is it sort of platform level job to, to look at policies? Is it, is it a CISO level? Like who, who do you tend to see thinks they're in charge of policies? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think right now, um, even for some of the more mature customers, I think that there's still a lot of people just duct taping things together with Jenkins in a lot of ways. Sure. Uh, most of the customers that have been running Kubernetes in production for a few years do have a more mature CICD pipeline, especially the customers with larger number of apps in production. So they do have you know security teams and operations teams that deal with setting policies around what container images might get pushed into a production environment. But then I think, you know, managing once you get into the production environment, managing how you're going to set policies around what's already running, um, that is still, you know, thing that's still a struggle, I think, that a lot of people are, are kind of wrapping their heads around. But um, there really hasn't been a single technology that I think has uh, taken over. Uh, there was a lot of talk around open, open policy agent at KubeCon um, as something that could fit in that space. But I think so far to date, it's been a lot of Jenkins, a lot of custom stuff. Uh, CI/CD workflows and, and you know even Bash and, and other things. So yeah, and I, I think we'll we'll talk about o, OPA Open Policy Agent here just in a little bit. Um, you know, I, I, what jumps out at me as you're talking about it, and it it sort of explains why, like I said at the beginning, if you were to do a Google search, you're you're going to find some basic things about Kubernetes. I think a lot of the the things that have to happen that would fall under the policy bucket um, are kind of outside of Kubernetes. It's like you said, it's it's in your uh, CI/CD pipelines. It's looking at um, you know looking at quality of code. It's doing things like scanning and signing of images to make sure that you know the stuff that eventually gets into Kubernetes um, has 
you know, been secured, but, but kind of, you know, matches certain policies or things that you've got to do within the company. And then once it gets into Kubernetes, it's really more kind of just about managing resources. You know, am I, am I overloading the system? Am I uh, making sure that things are shared appropriately and so forth? And so as folks are thinking about policy, you know, kind of keep in mind, there are pieces of this that will be Kubernetes specific, like, like John mentioned, you know, network policy is a you know native Kubernetes thing or, um, SCC or pod security policy, but a lot of these things will live you know, in the registry in your CI/CD pipeline, and so you you kind of have to think both inside of Kubernetes but outside of Kubernetes as well. Um, so there's a you know the the thing about this space, I think we've we've seen you've lived around it for for a long time now. Um, there's a lot of projects that will come along. Um, sometimes people will look at the the landscape map from the CNCF and think, man, there are just an insane number of projects that come along. Like, how do I keep track of them? Um, for a little while, you know, 2017, 2018 time, there was a couple of projects that, that got people's attention in this space. One was called Graphius. One was called uh, Critus. Um, you know, they were kind of touted as, um, you know, software supply chain policy have you seen much traction with those in the marketplace? I know, you know, every time something new comes out, it gets some buzz or it comes from one of the, the web scale companies, it'll get some buzz. But have you seen much traction in that one? Because I know, like I said, last year there was some talk of it, but haven't heard as much lately. Yeah, I think it's dropped off a little bit. Um, those those uh, those projects did address a need, I think, initially in the community. So originally people were start, you know, the tip of the spear at the time was building the CICD pipeline. And a lot of the vendors that were coming out had different ways that they were going to mark up your your Kubernetes manifests to say, okay, it had you know, I scanned your container image and it had this vulnerability. Um, you know, another tool might say that they you know did a code quality check and it had you know none of the code was commented. The way it would kind of mark things up and and deal with all that metadata, you know, who built it, who's going to run it, other things around the container image, it was all very uh, disjointed. So the idea of like Graphius was to try to build a common metadata for an API for all that metadata. And initially there was a lot of buzz around it. A lot of companies joined, I think initially um, Google built a managed service for their clouds. They saw some adoption. I think that um, overall the project weaned off over time though, just because uh, people are looking for a bigger piece to that puzzle than just uh, the metadata for the container images. Because when they look at policy, it's not just around, um, you know, what's going through my CI/CD pipeline. It's around uh, managing policies of the running images, um, changing things on the fly. Um, you know, I might need to revoke access to things if somebody, you know, hands in their badge, um, doing those types of things at scale. So managing, you know, network policies and pod security policies and other things from a, a larger holistic view. So I think for that reason, Grapius and Critus, they're still around. If you look at most of their customers, I think they're in the they're running in Google Cloud because they do have a managed service for that. Um, but I think general adoption in the community seems to have tapered off the last I don't know, six to nine months or so. Yeah, yeah. It seems like, um, like you said, we you, you mentioned this just a few minutes ago. Um, the the newer thing that's starting to gain some traction, like you mentioned, it was talked about it at KubeCon um, in Seattle 2018 was was this new thing OPA or Open Policy uh, Agent. What are you? I know you've been starting to dig into it a little bit. Um, I know some of, some of our colleagues have been digging into it. What are you hearing about that? Just in terms of the scope of what it's trying to to look at, and maybe some of the the, the different ways that it's it's trying to tackle this challenge. Yeah, I think there was tons of buzz around it this year. And they actually presented last year at KubeCon too. 
I think one of the things that was interesting, the project is now a CNCF sandbox project, but there's already uh, a lot of big name customers. I think they had State Street, Netflix was using it, Capital One. But um, the idea behind it is it's, you know, Graphius and Critus had their own data models that or Graphius had its own data model. The idea with OPA, um, Open Policy Agent, people say OPA, is that it's a more general purpose. So it's completely decoupling the decisions from the, the actual policy. And the idea is you just throw it any JSON, you run some code against it to decide if, you know, what type of decision you're going to make, and then you return that JSON back to the um, back to the client. So most of the use cases now are around connecting OPA into the Kubernetes emission controller. So making dynamic decisions, you know, as um, objects are getting created and destroyed, moving into Kubernetes. But they also can run it as a as a sidecar pattern. So some customers that are running even Istio, um, there's a plugin for Istio. So looking at running policies with uh, various microservices and stuff as well. But I think that one of the things that's interesting to a lot of customers about OPA is it's more general purpose. So you can you can use it with VMs. You can you can even solve like SSH problems with it by saying you know only users in this group can SSH into these production machines, as well as common like container problems like only. You know, only containers that are labeled development can do port forwarding and debugging and other things. So uh, it's used for more than just Kubernetes, but uh, it is a CNCF project now. And we do see kind of customers looking to uh, at least learn more about it at this stage. Yeah. And and that's that I think is an interesting characteristic is the fact that you said it's not necessarily just, you know, just for microservices. It's, it, it could be used in other patterns. That's that's something I know a lot of times as I as I talk to companies and and things like Istio come up because it'll be on a roadmap or people will be hearing about the project they'll go wow you know this sounds pretty cool I understand the segmentation and isolation and some of the you know sort of layer seven routing pieces of it but you know what if I don't have microservices does it make sense for my my monolithic application or something else and and you know anytime you get into going well it's only for something brand new, sometimes you'll turn some folks off or it limits the scope of what they can do. So yeah, definitely something that's, um, you know, the fact that it can be applicable to a a number of things makes it sort of an interesting uh, project to start watching. Yeah, it was interesting. I think there's a little bit of a learning curve curve with it because it does use its own like programming language that they created called Rego. I think it was created just for OPA. Um, But I think that, you know, a couple of the customers, Capital One described it as, you know, a way to take what's in their wikis and their PDFs and codify that into a policy that works from a big picture for Kubernetes. So I think that is powerful. You know, pretty much every enterprise has that problem, right? So um, I think that, you know, we might see more adoption of, of OPA going forward. Yeah, definitely a, a project to kind of keep an eye on. Um, you know, as we as we go along, I know, like I, like you mentioned, we've got some folks in Red Hat that are looking at it, not yet in the in our technology path in terms of supported technologies. But um, you know, sometimes when things get into into the CNCF, the CNCF has such a big platform in terms of visibility. Um, it may be we may see more and more community adoption around it. Um, kind of speaking of that, you know, as, as you're you know having conversations with companies or you're doing your own research. Um, you know, what are, what are some of the, the communities that you find are useful, uh, you know, to, to talk about policy? I mean, is it kind of the general Kubernetes community or are there, are there uh, sort of sub communities that have started to emerge? Or is it just in the projects? What, what do you find are maybe some of the best places to do it or, or maybe just some of the thought leaders that you reach out to? There is a, uh, actual, uh, a Kubernetes working group. So for those that don't know, Kubernetes is divided into, um, special interest groups for, 
you know, various topics like uh, federation or uh, the API or like lifecycle, things like that. Um, but a working group is something that goes across SIGs. So there's a performance working group uh, that Jeremy Eater, a Red Hatter, is working on. Uh, there's also one for policy now, which is going to go across the, uh, the SIG architecture group. I think uh, SIG apps, maybe a couple others. It's looking at you know solving some of these problems in Kubernetes. Um, not necessarily creating a, a new solution per se, but more codifying the existing problems and, and looking more into the space right now. So there is a working group for Kubernetes on that. It's all on the public Kubernetes page. Um, they're looking at problems like uh, GPDR. You know, how do I how would I enable GPDR in, inside of apps running in Kubernetes? Right, that consists of tying together a lot of different solutions in Kubernetes and technologies in Kubernetes now. So uh, they're looking at problems like that. That's a good one. Uh, again, OPA is gaining a lot of traction. Um, and then, you know, following a lot of the security vendors, they're a lot of the tip of the spear. So we work a lot with Black Duck and Twistlock. Um, New Vector is good, Sysdig. So just following a lot of those uh, security, because uh, they specialize in that, you know, they're tip of the spear for that type of stuff. So they usually know what's going on. So, you know, following those types of companies on Twitter is usually pretty helpful for that type of information as well. Very cool. Very cool. Well, listen, I think, uh, you know, we've like, like we always try and do with the show, we try and cover some basic things, give people some sense of, uh, you know, where things are mature in the market, um, how things are evolving. Um, so I think we're going to kind of wrap it up with that. I think we've covered quite a bit of things. We will put a bunch of stuff in the show notes. We'll point uh, to where, you know, some of the different technologies we talked about today, whether it's uh, the native Kubernetes stuff, some of the, uh, the, the vendor technologies that are out there. But uh, John, good job. Appreciate having you on the show today as, as a co-host. Uh, excited to have you on uh, for the rest of the year. But uh, thank you for being on. Thanks, Brian. Looking forward to my uh, my second invite. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, real quick, um, for anybody who who may want to reach out to you, follow you. What's what's good ways to to reach out? I know you're you know you're you're busy like everybody, but uh, is are, are you a Twitter person? Are you a Slack person? What's what's good ways to reach out? Yeah, I, f- I finally was convinced to create a Twitter account uh, a couple of years ago for to follow all the tech stuff, which has been great. Um, it's really the best way to get the the latest and greatest. I do have a LinkedIn, but I, I barely use it. Uh, so probably Twitter is the best way. Uh, it's at OpenShift Fed. Very cool. Well, folks, uh, good to be back. Well, one last thing. Um, I know I mentioned in the last call or the last show, but you may not have heard it. Uh, we uh, obviously the show is is on all the podcast catchers, so you can find it everywhere. Uh, we continue to to move it to places. I know Pandora and Spotify and others are doing podcasts, so we'll be out there. But also, we move the show. Um, all the episodes, if you want to listen on the web, are now at podctl.com. So, uh, you know, check it out there if you listen not on a mobile device. And uh, thanks, as always, for listening. Thanks, as always, for telling a friend and giving us feedback. And we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Pod Control Podcast. You can find everything about the show at podcontrol.com, P-O-D-C-T-L, or at Pod Control on Twitter. We'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>